Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good morning. Good morning, Merry Christmas. There are a few Christmas jumpers out there that I was watching. Very nice. Maybe next week we'll have a few more. Very exciting. Well, this is, I love this time of the year. I hope, you know, I'm sure many of you do too. You know, the food, the films, the, the music, the nativity play last week. What a joyful occasion. There's so much to enjoy about this time of the year. Um, last week, I I not just got to watch my, my child, obviously, in the nativity play here, but I got to see my child in the nativity play at school. Very exciting to go to see school nativity plays. And when I discovered that um, you know, the, the part that my daughter was playing, she told me she was playing Mary. Yes, after all these years of going to these plays and being kind of like a bit part on the side, now... She's got the starring role. I said to her, Annabelle, you have got the starring role. You should be so excited. And she said, I promise you, she said, no, Dad. I was a star last year. I'm just Mary this time. <laughs> well, throughout this term, we have been looking at the theme of where hope is found where hope is found. And it's fitting that we end our series with the title, Finding Hope in a Manger. Finding Hope in a Manger. And the reason we've been looking at this series is because every one of us, we all place our hope somewhere, on something. It has been said that human beings can live 40 days without food, or four days without water, or four minutes without air. However, we cannot live four seconds without hope. I'm sure many of you have been aware that over the last month we have been bombarded with promises of hope in the general election. Uh, to be honest, I don't know about me. I'm pleased it's over. Uh, you know, I've got tired of the constant knocking on my door, the flyers through my letterbox, the news reports 
all promising one thing after another. The promises of a, of a brighter future. That no matter how bad things may have become, tomorrow will be better if you vote for us. And I found myself, I don't know about you, but that no matter how skeptical you are of some of these promises, deep down, I want to believe that, that some of these promises of hope are actually true, that tomorrow will be better or at least as good as the present or the past. And I'm, I'm clinging on to those hope, those words of promise. And, you know, we will soon see. But the promise of hope doesn't end with a passing election. Christmas comes with an expectation that something special should happen. It comes around every single year and we, ha we hold out that Christmas, there's something special about it. It might be a hope for a certain gift or a visit from someone special or a card or a phone call or, or whatever it is. The expectation is always there that something special should happen. Even those who look on Christmas with caution and sadness usually look on it that way because something has happened that has dis disappointed them, disappointed their hope that something special would happen. However you look at it, there is hope surrounding Christmas, that things will be different, that things will change. And you would think with all these expectations that there would be some evidence that Christmas is a big life changer, that people's lives have been changed for the better once they've gone through this season. The reality for many is that Christmas you know, can be a little bit of a letdown. For some, it's a, a, a season of financial strain or of intense loneliness or, or, or crushing grief because of a loved one that is no longer with them. Even those for whom something special has happened, you know, you got the gift, you enjoyed your time with your family, that staff Christmas party was surprisingly fun. But then January arrives and things quickly settle back to the same old ways they were before, dark and cold. Instead of bringing something special, Christmas can, for some, be a bit of a letdown. I heard a story about a woman who was doing a last-minute Christmas shopping in this crowded shopping mall. Maybe some of you have been doing this. And she was, she was tired of fighting the crowds. She was tired of standing in lines. She was tired of fighting her way along aisles looking for that one present that has been sold out days before. You know, her arms were full of bulky presents and packages. When she opened, the, the, the lift door opened and it was full. The occupants of the lift, you know, grudgingly kind of make a little space as she squeezes her way in with her large load. As the doors closed shut, she blurted out, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. A few others in the lift, you know, murmured and grunted in agreement, yeah. Then from somewhere in the back of the lift came a single voice that said, don't worry, they've already crucified him. But what I hope that everyone will discover is that though the Christmas season, it will come and go, the baby at the center of this Christmas story 
is the source of all hope. This is the reason we will talk about it every single year. Because it is a source of all hope. He is the hope to a hurting world. He brings a hope for your future. He brings a hope in times of trouble. And this morning, we're going to discover how we can, we can find this hope, how we can search this hope through the story of the visit of the Magi. So if you just keep your, your, your Bible open, we're going to just go through this, this wonderful little chapter. Verse 1, Jesus, we discover he is born in Bethlehem. Now, I'm sure many of us will know that already, but this is the hometown of King David where it is promised in the book of Micah, which is helpfully put into this little passage uh, 400 years earlier that a savior would be born. And it says in our passage in verse 6, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We're also told that this was the time of King Herod. They're not the true king in the line of David, for Herod had been appointed to the role by Caesar. And because of this, he was hated, despised by all the people. And because of that, he was fearful. He was scared to death of them. In fact, he was so scared of being overthrown and his kingdom taken away from him that he killed his cousins, his wife, and his children so they couldn't take the crown. This guy was pretty fearful. And then we get to the Magi, or, or also known as the wise men. Now, I, I, I sat as I was, I was walking back from school yesterday, a couple of days ago with my kids, and I, and I started telling them what I was speaking about, and I broke to them some, some difficult news, which, if I'm honest, um, devastated them. I, and, and I couldn't have them believing this lie about this Christmas story, so I, so I thought it was worth telling them. And there may be some here today who are equally devastated by this news. Brace yourself. The wise men were probably not kings. I know. It's hard to take. I know. I took that painfully myself. There is more, though. There were not necessarily three of them. Devastating. I know songs have just been ruined, nativity scenes destroyed in your, in your mind. Um, there is no mention of camels. Can you believe it? I just had in my head. Maybe, maybe they walked. You never know. There is also no mention of funny hats or, or capes. Um, yeah, so I, I'm sorry if I've ruined your picture of Christmas, but there you go. Um, but what do we do now? Let's, let's look at some of the things we do know. Um, they, they probably came from the regions around Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And, and it's likely they, they dabbled in astronomy or sorcery or, or kind of the magic arts, which is why they're called magi, which, you know, magicians. And what made these wise men travel to Israel? It's quite a long journey. And after all, they, they were not Jews. They were Gentiles. Well, it's possible they could have read some of the prophecies about the coming Messiah, you know, most likely the writings of the Jewish prophet named Daniel, who also in Babylon, Daniel wrote the predictions about the coming Messiah. And these wise men could have read that and believed these prophecies and made the, made the journey. They were also looking for a sign of the coming Messiah, and, and they found a star in the sky. Now that 
That isn't as weird as it might sound like today because back then everyone believed in astronomy. You know, back then they used it for things like guidance and getting them places. You didn't have Google Maps. And so they arrived in Jerusalem after following the star and they say in verse 2, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? You know, saying something like that. In Jerusalem, it doesn't take long for Herod, twitchy about his throne and about the threat that that has, you know, other people have on him, he made plans to, to get these wise men and to find out where this child was born so he could kill this so-called king. But what made these, these wise men wise? Well, I just want to pull out there are five things, but they are going to be short, so don't feel they're going to take forever. There are five things that allowed them to discover the true meaning of Christmas, you know, the true source of hope. And hopefully tonight, or this morning, sorry, that you would, you would take on board some of those things and maybe put them into practice. The first thing is that they were seekers of the truth. Verse 2, he says, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? You see, wise people are those who are seekers of this truth, who ask questions in pursuit of that truth. You know, many people today build a picture of who God is by how they feel about him or, or what they think he should be like or how they think he should act. But how we think about God and how we think he should act or be like it is irrelevant. You know, the question we need to be asked is, what is the truth about God? Um, each week I take my eldest daughter to, to a ballet lessons, and, uh, and it's, it's held in a, in a church. And on the wall are a range of different posters in this church that are designed to engage people in the Christian faith in, or in things of faith. And one of the posters, it says this, do you believe in God? We're not sure either. What? what? You know, it's not a great if churches can, you know, are struggling with this idea of truth. But the Christian faith is based on believing that truth does exist. And it's not down to my personal feelings or my ideas, but because it's found in the prophecies, uh, a prophecy of Je prophesied Jesus, who later on declares that he is the way, the truth and the life. You see, the wise men, they were seekers of the truth. And so they took time to study God's word and to read the prophecies about his, uh, this future Messiah. They asked questions about his whereabouts. They looked for signs in creation that led to him. And I just want to encourage you this, uh, this morning, you know, to find out if there is truth behind the Christian faith. If you don't already know, to find out as Stuart said earlier, we have an alpha course starting in January where you can ask your questions and find out, does this truth, does it add up? Does it make sense? The wise men were willing to go to any length to discover this truth. And that's my second point. They're willing to go to any length to discover this truth. These magi didn't just make a quick journey to see if this Jesus was the real deal. They traveled possibly 800 miles in search of this truth, all the way to the, the spiritual center of the world, where that time is Jerusalem. 
And you would imagine all the religious people in Jerusalem, the theologians of that day would be jumping up and down in excitement about what was happening. You know, they knew the scriptures you know, even better probably than the wise men, for they had, they, 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 and they knew, had no problem telling Herod when he wanted to know where the child would be born. They had no problem telling him he will be born in Bethlehem, of course. But did they go and greet this Jesus? Did they lift a sandal? No, not at all. You know, they knew it all, but they did nothing. And this is a, a real danger for those of us who may think we're theologians of uh, today, you know, it's a warning that knowledge is no substitute for, for obedience. Just because you know the scriptures doesn't mean you know the person who it's talking about. You know, in the end, it was the Magi, the, who are philosophers, medics, and natural scientists who spotted what was going on. You know, maybe if you're in that line of work, then be encouraged you're in good company. And what is incredibly just staggering about this whole situation is that Jerusalem is only six miles away from Bethlehem. You can have Jesus right in your midst, right under your noses, and you can still miss him. So the Magi, why they were wise, they went to any length, any length to find the truth. The third reason what made them wise is they didn't stop until they met Jesus. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child. Now, have you come to the place of finding Jesus? For some, you know, like the shepherds, this can happen pretty quickly. You know, I remember hearing the gospel message uh, for the first time, and over a, kind of a period of a week, of a week, you know, reading the gospel message myself, yeah, you know, I became convinced. I said, "Yeah, I want to follow Jesus." For others, you might be more like the wise men who are on a long journey of discovering this person, Jesus. And if you've not yet got to that place, of meeting Jesus, maybe there are just a few questions that you just don't know yet, then I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Now, we would think it would be crazy if those wise men traveled that 800-odd miles, they got to Jerusalem, and, you know, they were seeking out the king of the Jews, and then they got distracted by the nightlife of Jerusalem, and they just didn't bother walking those extra six miles to Bethlehem. That would be madness. But I've seen many people get distracted by life's pressures and stop the journey because of family, of work, or of social life pressures. Because there is never going to be a better time in life to discover the hope that this child Jesus brings than this very moment. Don't put it off until things calm down. Because if this story is true, then it is the most significant journey you will ever take. And the fourth reason that makes these men wise is they came for the right reasons. Verse 2, we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. This is the source of hope, by coming to worship the Lord. 
You know, we can be tempted to think of Jesus, especially around the Christmas period, as some sort of accessory we can use to help us uh, for our nativity scenes or use to help us uh, in times of trouble. You know, like the genie in Aladdin, we can do it, you know, all we have to do is quick wish, a prayer when we need something big that we can't deal with ourselves. And the rest of the time, well, God, you know, you can stay at a distance. You can stay in your, in your lamp, you know, until I need him. That's not the image that we get here. The primary purpose of, uh, as Christians is to bring worship to our king. It was fitting as that final song we sang, you know, Oh, come, let us adore him, for he alone is worthy. We give you all the glory. That is our primary purpose. We don't come to church or home groups or spend time with the Lord in order to receive something from God. We come for the primary purpose to give him worship. Even if we don't feel like it. Sometimes we come to church. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like going to my home group today. Well, we do it because we're there to bring worship to the Lord. That's what we've been made to do. And because he's all loving and he desires a relationship with us, then we undoubtedly will receive so much more in return than we could ever give. But our motivation is to come and give worship to him because he is our king. And this is what the wise men do. Verse 11, they bowed down and worshipped him. And the wise men of the east, they, they bowed down and recognized the one true king that was before him, before them. And we will find hope this Christmas if we, if we learn to do the same. We recognize that Jesus isn't some Christmas accessory for, for the season, but is one who deserves our worship, who deserves our love, who deserves our honor, not just through the Christmas season, but at all times. And the final thing, the final way they were wise is they gave Jesus the best they had. Verse 11, then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. Now, we, we may have heard the story many times, and each of these gifts, you know, they, they have a symbolic meaning to it, which are helpful for us to, to, to realize. The first gift was gold. It was the most precious metal known at that time, and it was a, as a, it was a gift that was fit for a king. And Jesus, as we would discover, would be unlike any king gone before him. He would not reign by force, but he would reign by love. He would not rule from a throne, but from a cross. And wisdom is remembering that Jesus is king. And we can never meet him as equals, but we can only come to him in complete submission. Nelson, the great admiral, always treated his defeated opponents with the greatest kindness and courtesy. And after one of his naval victories, uh, the defeated admiral was bought upon Nelson's flagship. And knowing Nelson's reputation for, for courtesy, you know, and thinking he would try and benefit from it, um, he advanced across the deck with his hand outstretched and was advancing towards him, hoping to to meet Nelson as equal. Nelson's hand remained at his side, and he said, your sword first, he said, 
and then your hand. Before we come to Jesus, we must submit to him as our king. First gift was gold because Jesus is our king. The next gift was frankincense. You know, this is a sweet perfume that was used by the priest in the temple for worship. And the purpose of the priest was to be a bridge builder between man and to God, to make it possible for us to have our sins forgiven. And that is precisely what Jesus has done for us. He has opened the way to God. He has made it possible for each of us to enter the very presence of God. He has become our bridge. That was frankincense. And the final gift is myrrh. Now, this is not the most obvious gift for a baby. Uh, Myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies. So before Jesus could even speak a word, he he was being prepared to die. I want to show you a picture that's kind of on the screen um, of a famous picture of Holman Hunt. And it shows Jesus as a boy in a carpenter's shop uh, coming to the door to stretch out his limbs, which have become cramped while working over a bench. And as he stands there in the doorway with his arm outstretched, we see um, behind him on the wall the, the sun casting a shadow of the cross. And if you notice in the background, there stands, you know, it's it kneels Mary. She's kneeling in front of the gifts from the wise men. You know, would have seen this, this gift of myrrh. And as she sees that shadow, there is the fear of the coming tragedy in her eyes, in her whole body expression. Jesus came into the world to live for mankind and in the end, to die for mankind. And in these three gifts that we've just looked at, we see who Jesus is. Firstly, he is the king. And what he came to do, he came to build a bridge between us and the Father. And what it cost him, it cost him everything. Ultimately, death on the cross. Imagine um, I I planned a birthday party for you, and I invited everyone here, all these fine people here, and your friends, and your family, and then they all came on a particular day, and they all came with fabulous gifts, and on that day, when everyone arrived, I then told everyone, if you want to just turn around and start passing your gifts to someone next to you, how would you feel? Everyone else suddenly getting your gifts. Well, well that's called Christmas, and The reason I want to say that is who gives gifts to Jesus? You know, we give gifts to everyone on the planet, but not to the birthday boy. But the only reason this whole gift edition started is because these wise men, they brought gifts to Jesus. And they were not some Black Friday, last minute deal type presents. They were the best they could offer. And as we come into this Christmas season, I just want to ask you, what are you going to give Jesus this Christmas? That might sound like a strange question. What are you supposed to give the the, the creator of the universe? And what can I possibly give Jesus? Well, there are a few things that only we can give and we get to choose to give. The first one is I, I give him my trust. 
You know, the only way Jesus has your trust is if you're, if you're following him, being obedient to his word. And we need to be able to say, God, you know, I give you my trust. I'm willing to follow you. I give him in trust. I give him first place in my life. I give him first place in my life. You know, the Ten Commandments, we all know those Ten Commandments, well, at least some of them. The first one is, you shall have nothing before me. Nothing before me. The second one is, you should have no idols. And so if we worship our job, our family, our bank account, and if all that falls apart, then ultimately we, we, we lose our life. We, we've got nothing to live for. God asks us to be first place in his life. In, in, in our lives. Will you give him first place? Thirdly, I give him my heart. Jesus later says, for where our treasure is, your heart will be there also. I think it's important for us at Christmas to just think, what are you investing in? A wise person would invest in things that last. That we would invest in things where we can build treasure in heaven that will last and we will benefit from in the future. Where is your treasure? And fourthly, finally, I will bring others to Jesus. We're not forced to be witnesses of this gospel. You know, the, the shepherds didn't, weren't forced to go out and share the news. You know, the, the disciples were not forced to. But we are, we are asked to do so. We are to be light that guides people to Jesus. And these are the gifts that Jesus most wants from us. These are the gifts that most give us hope for, for today and for the future. You know, are you willing to give them to him? So this Christmas season, don't lose sight of what it's all about through all the tinsel, all the presents, all the, the fun things about Christmas. Because there's nothing on offer over Christmas that can bring the hope we all seek than coming to worship the child born in that manger. He is God's solution to a hopeless world. I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a gift to us, that you came to this earth as a, as a, as a baby. Lord, help us to, to be those who come to you in worship, to choose to put our trust in you, to choose to make you the number one in our lives, to choose to build uh, our treasures in the things of you, to choose to be those who are witnesses of this incredible good news. In your name.